Hello and welcome to the Sobremesa podcast. I'm Alan Maguire and with me is Owen, Gil Martin. Hey, hey Alan, how are things? Yeah, not bad. We've seen each other quite a lot this week, right? Because it's been it's been quite a hectic time in politics this this week. Uh, not only a NATO in town, uh, yeah. which means half the clo- roads are closed and they're all like Boris Johnson and Biden, all of the Ursula... They're all in town, all staying at the big expensive hotels down uh, El Prado, by El Prado and things. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, I don't, I don't have to go down there for, uh, very often. So in that, in that sense, I'm not too affected. But yeah, there's, there's police everywhere. You just, I mean, the roads. I was trying to cross Sol yesterday and there were like a lot of it was blocked off. And yeah, you can hear the helicopters going around in the, in the all day, basically. You no, know? So it's, um, it does feel like Madrid is sort of um, locked down. It's, you know, it's a bit like a fortress at the moment. And I was so I was recording our first Sobremesa podcast outside yesterday, which is going to be next week's episode, because as I just said, this week has been crazy with politics and not a lot of it is related to NATO. Uh, NATO is kind of like is the big show in town. But there we've had Andalusian election results, which have had ramifications throughout the country uh, as regional politics does in Spain. But we also had a tragedy of 37, well, effectively murders in uh, the Spanish border in Africa. So, Owen, you've you've been hot on your computer this week writing for Jacobin about both of these issues. Should we start with with uh, the what was the humanita- well, humanitarian crisis? I don't know what you want to call it. A, a complete tragedy, really. I mean, yeah. I just say I, I think I've I think I've repressed this news a little bit, really. I mean, and I think this probably goes for a lot of people in Spain. I don't know if it's uh, if people have become accustomed to it or not, but like there's there hasn't been much of an outcry about this this situation when there should have been. And I think even one I can't remember which which uh, journalist it was on on Twitter this week put it was like it was news item number thirty seven, number eleven, number sixteen, and something else in the top news stories of Spain over like over the weekend. And it's, you know, it's a huge tragedy. So Owen, can you tell us or tell our listeners what happened? No, I mean it's it's a it's it's true. No, it's 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 a difficult event to describe in one sense. I mean I yeah one person I know described it as said it it's not a tragedy, it's a crime. And I think that's probably a better yeah. way of, of yeah um, of phrasing it because this this wasn't an accident. This was, you know, the Spanish the Spanish Refu- Refugee Association, you know, has con- condemned the indiscriminate use of violence by, by the Moroccan security forces. Even the, U- the UN Secretary General has also uh, expressed his outrage. I mean, that's what it was, indiscriminate, uh, an indiscriminate use of violence. I mean, I think, I think what's important first is maybe just to get, the, um, get a, a sense of what actually happened on, on uh-huh. Friday, because... There's been a lot, a lot of, I think, you know, fake news, false, false narratives uh, being put out there, not least by by Pedro Sanchez, who who blamed it on mafia, you no, know, like blamed it on. Um, he described it as a well or a well organized and violent attack on the integrity of Spanish, of of Spanish territory, the Spanish territory, which is which is ridiculous. I mean, I think the first thing is important to note is that these people who these mainly from countries such as um, South Sudan, Chad, Mali, were, were living in the forest near the, near, the, near the border between the Moroccan city of um, Nador and um, the Spanish enclave of Melilla. And 
they were living in the forest in part because these were the immigrants, the irregular immigrants, I guess, who who, who didn't have the resource, don't have the money to take take a to try and take a boat to Europe. So they're like uh-huh. they're the ones without the you know it's it's an particularly for you know you know families in Africa it's, it's a very expensive thing you're you're talking thousands of euro to get on a on a patera to 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 Europe. So these people didn't have the resources to to get a patera. They were living in the forest. Their their camp had been raided the night the night before by Moroccan security forces. Um, the the NGO uh, walking fronteras caminando fronteras walking borders described described it as a you know just a de- a, a desperate attempt to escape you know weeks of persecution by the by the Moroccan security forces. So fifteen hundred immigrants stormed attempted to scale the the border fence with the the Spanish enclave in um, in North Africa, Malia, they were met by by just brutal force. Um, You know, I'm sure, yeah, as you said, you've seen some of the videos, which are just shocking, you know, the Moroccan security forces beats stoned and tear gassed the approximately 1500 um, migrants who rushed towards the border fence. There's 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 video of them of um, of them tear gassing and shooting rubber bullets at, at people climbing the the six meter fence with people falling falling into a crowd below. There's other videos of them just beating migrants on the ground. And and maybe most worryingly or mo- of most concern is there's also videos of Moroccan riot police operating on Spanish soil in coordinated baton charges with Spanish police and Guardia Civil. And so they're operating on Spanish soil and um, in, in coordinated baton charges. And this was, this was key because of the 1,500, about 500 managed to get across over the fence, but the vast majority of that of those 500 people were then pushed back across the border. They weren't allowed to enter or remain on Spanish soil. And this is important because most of these people, the, the largest national group, are from are from South Sudan. These are people who would normally have tr- who would normally have tried to get to Europe via Libya, but the um, the level of repression in Libya is, is is so extreme at the moment. Many of them made made it like you know an incredible journey across across Algeria into into Morocco. But in in Spain, people from South Sudan who have applied for refugee status, out of the I think it's nine, over ninety percent have been accepted. South Sudan is a, is is you know is a war zone at the moment. If if they manage to get to Spanish soil, and that's the problem, they have to risk their life. They have to put themselves yeah. in such extreme danger to actually get to Spanish soil to make that application for asylum. But once they get here, they get you know ninety percent of their cases are are uh, approved. So these are people who have legitimate, uh, you know, a, a legitimate right to to apply for this. You know, it's but they were met they were met by brutal, for, deadly force, lethal force by. By Moroccan security forces working in coordination with the Spanish security forces. So that and this is, that, that raises another very serious question. Yeah, you know what what was what was the role in the management and oversight of this of this operation by the Spanish police and interior ministry? Like there, it's 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 an incredible it's an incredible thing. And then the the videos that took that were shot afterwards because some some of the people. Who were killed? Who were yeah, as you said, who were basically murdered. I mean, you know, um, for example, uh, Pablo Iglesias, the former deputy prime minister of Spain, as uh, said, it would be hard for this is a quote, a direct quote 
on national uh, radio, it would be hard for 37 people to die if not in a context of actions undertaken by Moroccan security forces that aimed to kill, that aimed to kill. That's the level of violence. And, you, and there, there were, there were vid- videos of, of Moroccan police literally be, you know, beating people on the ground. So some, some seemingly died in a crush. There's a, a trench underneath the border fence and the police did a pincer movement and you know, hundreds of people got tra- trapped in this, in this trench. And you can see the video of the, <clears throat> the police you know, beating people in that trench and people falling from the border fence as the, as the Moroccan police fire, fire rubber bullets. So, you know, I mean, the, the level of violence was, was incredible. But this was then justified by Pedro Santos, who, who blamed, yeah, first of all, blamed mafia, which is just bullshit. And, and second, described it as a, as a well-executed operation and thanked the Moroccan police. You know, this is the language he used that, that, that um, you know, this was a, a, a violent and well-organized attack on the integrity of Spanish territory. I mean, that's, that's Vox. That's basically an extreme, you know, this, the most progressive government in Spain's history. You know, the left, the left is in government for the first time in 80 years, et cetera. To the left is social democracy. And this is what the, this is government policy. It's hard, it's hard not to be angry about this because, yeah, it's, and it's not a, because it's not a one-off thing. You know, this is one of our, one of our previous shows was on, on Western Sahara. This has to be seen in the context of, of Pedro Sanchez's disastrous foreign policy in the, in the Maghreb area or the Maghreb region. You, you know, you, he, he recognized Morocco's, not recognized, he, he backed Morocco's plan for the incorporation of Western Sahara, the former Spanish colony, into, into, into the Moroccan state. And what he got out of this was, was six weeks later, he signed a, a, cooperate, a bilateral cooperation treaty on immigration with Morocco. And since then, since signing that, Caminando Fronteras, the NGO working on the ground, has reported you know, a, a steady increase in violence and repression against immigrants on the ground. So no, like it's, it's, it's you know, a shocking act of state murder with Spain's progressive government implicated in that murder. And I think that's, that's how we have to frame it, to be honest. Yeah. And I suppose it goes on to, you know, talking about Vox. I mean, that is one of, has been one of their main narratives since sort of Catalonia died down, which was the thing that brought them to prominence, right? Yeah. One of their big things has been, uh, especially in Andalusia, sort of the invasion of Spanish values and, and, all of this sort of thing, and uh, yeah, so he's just sort of playing to their tune by the sounds of it. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I think you know, I've talked to a number of friends who are activists in the in the in the Socialist Party this week, and they're they're very demoralised and very like you know, I mean, it is, uh, and just shocked by what's happened. And I think there is an interesting thing, and I think it, it's it was the same with Western Sahara is that I think it's true that maybe the wider society isn't focusing on this issue. Though I think a lot of people, yeah. when you talk to them, are quite shocked. But maybe it's not their main focus. But I think part of the problem for, for the Spanish left, and this, this isn't primarily a problem for the Spanish left, it's, you know, it's a much more uh, serious issue. But it, it is that they're demoralizing their own base. You know, the people who are politically active, who are politicized, and who are in, you know, focusing on this stuff, for them, it's, you know, it is, there's just no justification for it. And they, you know, they, the, the couple of friends in the, in the, in the Socialist Party I talked to just 
don't understand why, why firstly, why Sanchez would say those, make those type of comments, and secondly, why this is their policy. I mean, the you know, in in the Socialist Party's manifesto, they promised to stop all migrant pushbacks. You no, know, where where you don't you don't allow them to to make asylum claims, you just push them back across the border. And there's been questions. There's been a lot of court, uh, court cases about whether this is legal or not. But the, in the in the the Socialist Party's manif- uh, electoral manifesto from 2019, they promised to end all Im- immigrant pushbacks. That's in that's there in power. They haven't done that. But not only that, you've seen this. You've seen a huge increase in the number of deaths along Spain's southern um, southern borders. I mean, m- the vast majority are are in shipwrecks of between the northwestern. African coast and the Canary Islands, but it, in, I think in total along the Spanish southern border, borders, uh, just over four thousand four hundred people died last year alone. Four thousand four hundred people—it's wow, a huge number. And um, about four thousand of those were people desperately trying to trying to reach the Canary Islands. And the reason why, like the Canary Island, you know, you're you're going on a little wooden boat basically on the Atlantic Ocean, trying to cross to the canaries and the reason people yeah. are, are, are taking that is because you've had increased security both in Li- um, in libya and um, but also in northern morocco so that it would have been much more common a few years ago the most common route a few years ago would have been trying to get across the the strait to the spanish mainland but the moroccan police have, have cracked down along that border and so yeah people you know in the end you you, you can't really stop migrant flows what happens is just a more dangerous route opens up somewhere else. And that's what's happened with the Canary Islands. But the violent, I mean, I think that's the thing is a lot of times, you, you know, we just don't see those sh- those shipwrecks. We hear the numbers. I mean, I was I, I reported on this last year and talking to, to survivors, it is, you know, their their testimony is, is harrowing. But, but the images from last Friday show the type of violence that's been used to police our borders. Um, and, in a, you know, obviously the contrast it's just so evident. Uh, but I was talking to the the Mantero, uh, Sindicato de Manteros in, in Madrid, and they were saying, you know, look, this is there's a clear racial element to this. When you think, you know, legit, legitimate refugees fleeing the war from Ukraine who are white and Christian um, are basically, you know, there's basically an open border policy for those people. And like they get the correct and, and rightful treatment that they deserve. Whereas, you know, um, Africans who are coming from, from conflict zones um, and are also now fleeing famine or, you know, massive food shortages because of the gr- uh, grain blockage in the Ukraine. They're, they have to risk their life. They have to be treated, you know, ri- you know, risk being, being killed, being murdered by, by the Moroccan security forces. And I think what, one last thing I think it's, it's important to notice that some of those 37 people who died, and the figure might still be higher, was, it's, it's it's still not 100% clear the exact number, but some of those people died because they were then denied medical attention. Jesus A lot Christ. Of those, those images of the people lying packed up against the border wall, they, they lay there for like about eight to 10 hours. So people had fractures, people had serious injuries. They were left in the open air, in the sun and the heat for eight to 10 hours and uh, without medical attention. I mean, the Spanish authorities were literally the other side of this border wall you had security and ambulances at the border. They did nothing. Like the, the level, there's a, a serious inquiry is needed into, the, into what happened and the level of responsibility of the Spanish authorities in this massacre. Yeah, and it's still something very much unfolding, right? I mean... Yeah, uh... I mean, an, another element, sorry, just one, one final thing is that a lot of these people, 
about a thousand people were detained. Um, about a thousand people were detained. In an, in another, which this is a very common practice along um, Spain's southern borders and elsewhere uh, along the Mediterranean, is that when they were detained, they were moved. I think like six to eight hundred kilometers away from the border. So those thousand people were detained, and then they were moved to southern Morocco, um, so that they couldn't make another attempt to, to cross over. And some of these were moved with, you know, serious injuries, with fractures, with broken bones, who were unable to walk. They were, and they were moved to like some rural zone in the, in the south of Morocco. I mean, it's, you know, um, but these, and these are the practices. I mean, this is, these are the practices that are, that are happening constantly in, on, on Europe's borders, but they don't make the news normally. And I think, you know, it, it tends to be, it tends to be just ignored, hidden. Yeah. And often, often repressed, I think, as well, yeah, uh, by a lot of people. So, do you think uh, this is li- kind of linking to our next topic? Do you, but do you think Pedro Sanchez? I mean, Pedro Sanchez's response in itself says a lot about uh, his view on it, I suppose, or or his party's, uh, you know, what they've done about it. Um, but do you think this has any link to Andalusia? the Andalusian elections that passed a couple of weeks ago? I think... Because he's had a turn, hasn't he? Because I remember when he came, was like caretaker prime minister, he was quite famous for accepting a refugee boat. Uh, exactly, which yeah. I, know is, I know is different as a different situation and it was four, three or four years ago. No, but exactly. Um, kind no, of... Exactly. This was, you know, that was his big sim- first symbolic gesture. Exactly. Yeah. A, a, a boat which a boat which has been turned had been turned away from from uh, uh, Italy when La, uh, La Lega and Salvini were in power. Salvini was the interior minister, far right in, in, uh, Italian interior ministry. Yeah, this was a, a big symbolic gesture in which you know instead of in, that made made a stark contrast between you know far right populist Italy and you know progressive modern European Spain. But yeah. But the problem is, yeah, the problem is, I mean, the problem for what on, on the one hand is, is, is how he has actually governed and the wider European consensus around sort of, you know, fortress Europe and the practices yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, he has, that's the thing is, you know, Pedro Sanchez, is, he's a very, you know, he's not a very ideological or principled person. He's a, he's just a, he's a sort of cynical political operator who is an opportunist. And I think he's not being guided by, you know, um, a, a clear ideological line so i think you know he has he has been pushed in this direction you know it goes back in many ways to the short not short-sightedness of his foreign policy shift from western sahara and yeah. which involved a clear wager on on closer on a closer alliance and, and reliance on, on morocco but you know morocco is an authoritarian monarchy and uh-huh. you know you've you've you're doubling down and outsourcing your border control to this authoritarian monarchy. Yeah. Um, and this is what you get. I mean, and I think this, it is, it is a bigger problem in the sense that if you read the Spanish media this week, they've talked about uh, Sanchez's left turn, that he's, he's, he's engaging in more left-wing, more left-wing uh, discourse. He's talked about how the, uh, the coalition is an uncomfortable government for, for the, the right wing of the economic powers, etc., but <laughs> it's just it's it's largely a discourse. I mean, the other thing, I guess, in yeah. the wake of Andalusia, you've had 
the announcement of a, of a package of anti or a package of, of measures to to help alleviate the the cost of living crisis they haven't gone really far enough and for example they they the government's announced a, a windfall tax on the profits of of the big electric companies but then postponed it until next year to implement it this is a tax that's already in place in the uk with Paris Johnson, you know, Macron's even talking about taking control of the energy companies. The best way still want to govern from the center, even after Andalusia, because their, their strategy in Andalusia was based on the idea that there's more, more growth, electoral growth in the center, trying to hoover up votes, votes, ex-voters from Ciudadanos, than there is in trying to mobilize the left. Um, they they primarily lost in Andalusia because they could not they could not mobilize their own their own electorate, and the idea that you can get that you can compete that you can win the next general election by competing with the Pepe for so-called moderate ex Ciudadano voters, it's not going to work. And mm. I think you know, I mean, literally the the Pepe swallowed swallowed the the ex Ciudadanos voters whole. So you, you and have some you, ones, right? There was, yeah, exactly. About probably about ten percent. Um, there was, which was a, a, again a new, a new development. Um, when you we've had just these two static ideological blocks, there was a clear transfer from um, the more moderate socialist voters over over to the Pepe. But the you know the question then is where 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 can you? Andalusia is not Spain. Spain is much more diverse. The the Spanish right is not going to do very well in places like the Basque Country in Catalonia, for yeah. example, particularly. How the question is how how do you mobilize an electoral majority? You know, and where where are where is the best? Where where are the areas where you can grow, where you can mobilize the most people? And you know, I really don't think it is at the center. I mean, that's you know their their problem is. Is the whole left wing is is demobilized while you have mm. a hyper mobilized right wing and that's the thing is what, what we saw in andalusia and i think one of the things maybe we didn't quite get correct in our prediction show of a couple of couple of weeks ago was you know the side the pepe getting a majority but the dynamic worked in the sense that what you had was vox mobilize you know s- strongly mobilizing sort of you know the the most extreme elements on the right gaining 13%, and then the rest of the, you know, a, a broad right wing, right from the extreme right with the box vote, all the way to the centre, mobilised mm. against the coalition, and partially for FIHO, well, partially for Moreno, and, and, yeah. and you know, well, a right wing government. Well, yeah, so just to go through the results for any listeners that haven't seen. All right, so the PP won an absolute majority, they got 58 seats, they went up 32 seats, and they got 43% of the vote. Uh, but the PSOE dropped three seats. And last election, 2018, they had their historic low in what is often called their heartlands, uh, and they've gone even lower this time. And Vox were, everyone was saying they were going to get 20-odd seats. That was what a lot of the polls were showing. The Spanish media was really feeding this wave of hype. Uh, But they only increased their seats by two. Now, I say only, uh, but they managed to get 14 seats. So they haven't quite had the impact that they were expecting. Uh, there's been a bit of a like a bit of narrative around this that a lot of people might have voted for the PP to keep Vox out. Like people would rather have a PP majority uh, than have Vox in. What do you make of this, Owen? It's yeah. I mean, it, it's it's probably maybe one element or one rationale why some people voted 
for for Moreno. Um, I think a lot of I think probably a more important element was in fact a lot of potential Vox voters wanted to inflict a historic defeat on the on the Socialist Party. They wanted um, they wanted to make sure the Pepe won. You have I think the sort of what would you call it? like the tactical vote on the on the right went to the Pepe. Um, right. people because they want you know that was the governing um or the you know the governing option on the right so i th- i think in reality i think that was probably a more a more important element i mean it's you know i think there was there was various elements but i think that was that was more it because you know i think going back to the the ciudadanos point is that in the end most of those people who were voting for ciudadanos four years ago were were anti-sanchez at that moment and they're, they're not going to return to the like they're not going to return and vote for, for for Pedro Sanchez, who represents, you know, the sort of so-called Frankenstein yeah. coalition, of, including the the radical left and Catalan and Basque parties. So the, the idea that you're going to win those people back was never going to happen. Instead, they went they went to the Pepe. So I suppose as I suppose as well, just to say that Ciudadanos have got no seats, and they lost twenty one seats. So in the last election, they had eighteen percent of the vote uh this time they got 3.3 3. uh so that is a hell of a lot of of votes going i mean that's pretty much the 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 pp's majority there right yeah and then obviously the other the other issue other issue for the left was that was the division and the two the two candidate two candidacies running to the left of the pesaway they split their vote together they got I mean, they they lost you know a few percentage, but they got just under what the what Fox had got, but you know only got I think it was like seven seats in the end between them because because they they split their vote, um, and so I think it is a difficult moment for for the radical left as well in the sense there's a clear sense of demoralization, people seem quite angry, and I think the again the the massacre in in, in North Africa will reinforce that or has reinforced that people are very angry particularly about the response maybe from the ministers or the lack of response from Yolanda Diaz you know completely inadequate and um, and you know I mean there are questions being raised I mean what 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 will the left get and then you know they they have to stay in there's no they need to 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 stay till the end of the term but um they've just had a series a series of crises over the last few months in which they have no ministerial power you know for first around uh, i guess the ukraine war and you know commitments to increase defense spending then the the u-turn historic u-turn on western sahara the pegasus, pegasus crisis with the catalan um spy gate and and now the massacre and um in the spanish enclave in north africa so and these, it is very difficult for the radical left because they don't have ministerial powers in these areas. Yolanda Diaz's strategy is to to focus on, you know, extracting or or seem seem to to extract material benefits, that, you know, for for the social majority. That you know, obviously, for example, the labor reform, etc. But mm. it is, they're in a difficult position where you have these these very emotive issues coming up in which they can they have seemingly have very little influence at cabinet on they don't hold the ministry posts while at the same time the measures being negotiated around the crisis of uh, the living cri- um, the cost of living crisis 
you know, they're not even, they're not even, they're not even reaching the ambition of, of, of the Tory government in, um, in the UK. So it's, it's, you know, it's hard. It is a, it's, it's, it's hard for, I think, the, the, the left space right now, not to feel yeah. disillusioned. Yeah. And like, why are we holding up this, this authoritarian dealing Pessoa effectively, right? Yeah. Like, why, why are we, why are we, why are we holding up uh, this thing that, you know, doesn't reflect us or, or uh, what we we want want from a coalition government. I mean, I know coalition is given. I mean, yeah, right? obviously yeah. the short the short answer to that is because the alternative is a you know is, a, is quite a hard right government. And yeah, which, which would be much worse. And and it, it is the awful thing of governing. You no, know, like the you know the lesser of two evils, etc. But I think you do get to a certain point where it's it's. Um, it's 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 um, you know it's exhausting and the oh. the benefits at the in this moment you know I think the the balance of for the coalition over the last two and a half years I think in January February when you had the the labor reform etc um, coming out of the of their I think overall okay management of the pandemic etc the balance looked you know slightly positive whereas now I think it, you know you have to say they're the overall balance doesn't look that great and it doesn't and it's more the sense that you know even after the, the defeat in andalusia there was a sense that Pesaway couldn't still couldn't sort of engage in more ambition ambitious action if they can and if they can't do it now you know the time is running out they have 18 months i, I just don't see you know it's we'll, we'll see what happens when, when, when the, will they the when yeah, will exactly they? you know maybe maybe if like what we're seeing in 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 the uk there is a strike wave there's more social comp uh, social strife and conflict, maybe that will push them. But I think it's, you know, it's 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 not a great horizon for the the Spanish government right now. Okay. Thanks very much for listening. And next week I'm going to be in Cordoba, and Owen is going to be elsewhere as well. So, but we do have an episode for you. So keep an eye out for that. Mm-hmm.